0: to Paths to Purpose. It has been not just a hot minute, multiple hot minutes since we last recorded an episode. And we are excited to be back today. We're re-releasing our first episode as we're getting back into podcast recording. And we wanted to tell everyone where we've been and why we took a unexpected long hiatus. So Alan, do you want to say hello and tell the people where we've been this last six months?
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're happy to be here. I'm excited to get back to this project. I think everybody went through this stage of pandemic fatigue. And as I discussed in my classes, the systemic risk associated with a pandemic, where for me, I was picking up a lot of other workload from other people because people were getting sick and people were fatigued and all that. So there's been a lot of extra work and a lot of adjustment in life as everybody's gone through. So that took me away from the project, but I'm very excited to get back to it.
0: Yeah. Alan and I both talked about what this project meant to us, why we were doing it in the first place. And frankly, last fall, we had recorded an episode that we're going to re-release in two weeks from now. And we recorded that, I think in August or July even, and it was great. But then we hit this place where we were just mentally burnt on everything. It wasn't just this project. It wasn't just our work lives. It was everything. The world had really... Felt heavy at that time, and we really wanted to take care of ourselves first. And we didn't want to half-ass this project, excuse the language, but we didn't want this to be something that we didn't put our full attention into. And so we took a break and we really tried to refocus ourselves and why this matters. And I think now more than ever, the world is still really heavy. The world still feels really hard from day to day on everything, just from getting up in the morning and realizing that. We're still in a pandemic almost three years later. There's a war going on. There's personal life things. And so we, we just needed a break and we needed a mental health moment. And that's where we went. And we're excited to be back. We have added two new team members that we're really excited about, Jack and Mikey. Jack is our audio engineer. So if you notice that our sound is exponentially better than what it was, that is because of Jack. That is not Alan and myself. <laughs> And Jack is just done an incredible job. She remastered the episode that you're about to listen to, which was our first episode. And you'll notice a stark difference in the sound quality because of Jack's ability to make us sound just so much better than we did. And so we're really excited for her to join us. And we also have Mikey. Mikey is our growth strategist and has incredible ideas on how we can really scale this project and way more understanding of our target audience and how we can really engage with them and make this a really meaningful piece of work. So with the both of them combined, we now have a mighty team of four. You'll probably see them around and hopefully hear them in the near future on episodes, we'll see. But for now, I wanted to make sure that they were introduced and if you hear their names, that's who we're talking about. And having the four of us together, I think is really quite special and we're really excited to be working on this project together. So any thoughts, Alan?
1: Yeah, I actually want to add to that. I echo your sentiment that they are phenomenal, but I also want to reflect on why we did that. So in the next two new episodes that we'll be introducing after this one, some of the comments are about startups and building projects together. And a lot of the themes that will come out in those include self-care, but more importantly, the idea that these types of change initiatives that we're trying to do, you can't do them by yourself. You have to build out a team. And so When you and I were facing how do we build this and how do we move this forward with the kind of problems we were facing at the time with all the other outside influences taking time away, I said, we need help for the project to go forward. We need to build a team. And I'm very proud that we've been able to do that. And I deeply appreciate the support that we're getting from them.
0: Yeah. The next question I was going to have us reflect on was, what does it feel like listening back to that first episode. And to me, I feel like we're in such a different place. One year later, we have this team of four and it feels much more achievable with the skill sets that the four of us bring together and that we can really bring this project to life and do it justice, I think, going forward that we have now all four of us looking at very different aspects of this work. And I don't think we would be continuing on with this project if we didn't have these two really amazing women with us on this team. So huge shout out to them. We're very appreciative and really excited to be working with them. This is our first episode that we're re-releasing. Alan, what did you think when you listened to it uh, a a year on?
1: I listened to it on a walk yesterday and I was actually struck by not only how good it sounds remastered, thank you, Jack, but more importantly about how true it still rings to me about the idea behind what we're doing. And I think right now, our the generation that follows me is actually looking at some of the biggest perfect storm of existential crises I've ever witnessed. And a lot of our energy, whether it's training outside of college or university or whether it's within university, doesn't really address it. And I think anything that we can do to help people find purpose and act on it is probably more salient and more needed now than it was even a year ago. And so I feel very frustrated by the environment we're in, but also fueled by the environment we're in to continue this project and to elevate its impact. Because I do think that this can actually help people help other people. And that's what this is about. So I'm actually proud of what we did in that first episode. And I'm glad that we're actually relaunching it so people can kind of get their heads around the whole point of this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think when I first listened to it, one, yes, I was laughing. I sent you a message, actually, Alan. And I said, I can't believe how awkward we sounded in this first episode because it was our first time sitting down and recording with each other and having a conversation and being something that was recorded just definitely changes the dynamic. But this project just makes me feel quite emotional about this work and why we do think it's so important and the impact that it does have and in the world that we live in today, why it is so needed. And so i'm I echo everything that you just said and. We're just really excited to be back and to have a whole host of guests that we're really excited to showcase their journeys and to try and build something quite spectacular that people can really lean on and grow into and provide resources to people. I mean, we have a whole host of ideas that Mikey is leading the way on, on how we can grow this community and be something that people can really use as a resource to have an impactful career, but more importantly, have an impactful life and be something that we're really proud of. So without further waffling, we will get back into our first episode and this is Paths to Purpose. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is our first podcast. You're probably wondering who we are and what this is. We're calling this Paths to Purpose, which is all about finding paths to a purpose-filled career and the work that Alan Jagelinser and myself have done to cultivate and help young people find their careers. So before we kind of get into what purpose is, why we're doing this podcast in general, I thought we would introduce ourselves. So Alan, do you want to tell everyone who you are?
1: Yeah, I'm Alan Jagelinser. I'm actually at the University of Cambridge. I'm an accounting professor Having had a strange career path, I did, I was a United States Air Force pilot for 10 years, and then I went back into academia, and then I taught six years at Stanford, seven years at the University of Colorado, and now most recently, I think, three years here in Cambridge, England.
0: So you started working with students when you were at Stanford, yes, or was it from Stanford that you had the idea of pivoting students into careers that were more meaningful to
1: them? So I worked very closely with students at Stanford, but I I would say that I actually learned more from them. So I was teaching in the MBA program at Stanford and was sort of getting to understand the kind of people who who were selected into the program and getting a sense of what was underneath them because they were doing some particularly crazy things, or I thought they were super impressive. But one of the things that I found in them were they tended to be humble. And so there was a sense of humility around what they were doing, but there was also the sense of global impact or... I'm a global citizen, and they were doing work around the world. And it was really interesting because I had never met anybody quite like them. And so I started realizing that there was something special about them that I wanted to understand. And so I was learning more about who they were. Then I moved into the University of Colorado, and I started noticing that we had paths that were more, I don't know, traditional, more kind of rigid and... And a lot of our students were led down these paths, and yet many of them weren't really being satisfied, and I didn't see a whole lot of impact or a sense of impact when they were doing that. And so that's kind of when I started working more on the mentorship side, borrowing from what I learned from the students at Stanford.
0: Did you have any infrastructure when you were working at CU to help you achieve that kind of goal? Or how did you find the university system that wasn't a Stanford Graduate School of Business
1: to help students get to that? I kind of did it on my own. I don't know, you know, the university career services at these institutions is actually quite good for fundamentals. And so they do a lot of career assessments and sometimes they do personality skills assessments and many times they do help students find some clarity. But but the one thing they didn't do that I sensed personally was that they tended to take students and push them into career boxes instead of understanding who the students were and matching careers to the students. So I thought that the placement exercise was sort of in reverse and and opposite of what it should be. And so they would kind of label people as, you know, here's accounting, go down this path. Here's finance, go down this path. Here's marketing, go down these paths. As opposed to understanding that the, the finance student actually has a lot of emotional resonance with environmental issues or with social justice issues. And actually could be better placed instead of working in a traditional career path working in the finance or the accounting or the financial infrastructure around something they actually cared about. So I kind of created the infrastructure as I felt it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's how I met you too. So for background for everyone else, my name is Daniel Edwards. I'm currently a law student at the University of Colorado, but I met Alan when I was a junior as an undergraduate doing a business minor, and he was my accounting professor. And I had never experienced any kind of career counseling like that of which we had done together. And So just to give a little bit of background, for me, I was an undergraduate at the University of Colorado, and I was doing communication and business. And kind of what Alan's describing here, I had a passion for people and just to be around people. And so I thought that maybe that was going to go into a career in public relations or marketing or something like that, because that was the narrative that I had been told when I was in undergraduate school. And then I met Alan and Alan kind of changed my whole worldview on what was possible and creating a career that involved things that I cared about, but that I didn't actually think could be a career. And so from there, I moved to the UK, did a master's degree at the London School of Economics, and now I'm in law school. And we'll kind of talk more about other students that Alan has worked with as well. But kind of the whole point of this podcast is to help whether it's students, people pivoting in a career in their late 20s, or even just later in life that they've decided that they want to get to a point where they feel that they're living a purpose-filled career, we want to kind of talk about the process and how you help so many students get to that point. Because I think that that is such a rare opportunity that I had and that many students have had that have worked with Alan. Because that's not the usual thing that happens. You kind of, you do, you get shepherded to one thing and it's all with good intent, I think, from the university system. But you don't actually have someone that challenges your outlook on life and the things that are possible with the skill sets that you had naturally, but also the things that you care about intrinsically. So that's kind of a bit of background about us and how we got here and the work that Alan has done in his past. And so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next however many weeks that we do this. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about kind of what is purpose? Why are we talking about purpose? Why is it important? and the impact that you've seen, Alan, purpose have in people's lives and careers. So what, how would you describe purpose?
1: So for me, purpose is intrinsic. So it's something that is unique to each individual based on their own perspective, their own self, where they've come from and how they've evolved. But purpose has some sort of emotional resonance. It's it's something that you want to have impact on to try to change or try to grow or create. It's, it's a creative energy, but it's a sense of reason behind it. And just using, for example, your marketing as an example. So a lot of students I trained were going to marketing. And I said, marketing What? Because you can be marketing anything. You can market pens. You can market computers. You know, is there something around there that has emotional resonance with you that actually means something to you? And then, can you sell it? I think you asked me that exact question when we were working together. Yeah. You're like, what do you
0: want to market? What do you care about? And I didn't have an answer.
1: Well, I even I even went down the path of is there is there any particular product that you would actually have a bereavement moment, like you would you would literally emotionally cry mm-hmm. over it as if you lost a human you were close to? And and that's a very difficult question. And if so, then that is sort of a sense of purpose. And, and likewise, a lot of my sense of purpose personally is around social and environmental types of issues. It's not that I, I necessarily have strong opinions about any particular social or environmental initiative, but I know that many of the students do, and there's purpose to them about it, and there's emotional resonance there. And then, quite frankly, we, we can look around and we see problems everywhere, societal issues. There are many of them, many of which you're trying to tackle with inequity and things like that. So there's a lot of social justice, environmental issues, business issues. There's so many issues that emotionally resonate with us. And yet we tend not to channel our energy there because they're not safe financially or they're not lucrative or something like that. So for me, purpose is an emotional internal thing. How's that for a very loose and long definition?
0: So many things to unpack there. So can you kind of tell me more what you mean by intrinsic and how would you know if something is intrinsically motivating or not? Because I think when I was going through this process of working with you and when I was kind of figuring out what I cared about and what my quote unquote purpose was, it started from that place of intrinsic motivation and kind of what did I naturally want to do. But I'm curious if people actually know what that means and how you would know or recognize that in yourself.
1: Well, it's interesting that you ask because we have a tendency of training that out of people. So we shut those down. We shut down the emotional energy because we can't come up with a way in which we can monetize it. So for different reasons, either because we have emotional scars or because we think it's a pipe dream and it's unattainable or because we can't monetize it. We don't know how to make a a life-sustaining career out of something. We tend to shut down our emotional core and not think about things. Mm -hmm. And intrinsic means that often it's not necessarily conscious. It's not something that we actually think about on a daily basis we just do so a lot of the analysis that i do with people is what do we naturally gravitate to and why because we don't think about hey i'm gonna go to the gym or hey i'm gonna climb a mountain or, or listen to this kind of music or like we do things every single day we don't pay any attention to and it's innate and we just follow these paths but if we unpack it we realize there's some emotional energy around it and also some of the work that i do is around emotional triggers what triggers you when did you get angry why did you get angry Anger is a wonderful place to source. It may not be the best place to do career work, but it's definitely an emotional yeah. thing that we tend to shut down. So it comes from within yeah. and each one of us is unique. And I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't, I can't speak specifically to where it comes from, but I think a lot of it generates from life experience and upbringing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, I think how I internalized it and understood it at the time and even now is just something that you feel energy around when you do it. You know, that you feel something that you have a visceral reaction and it's not something that drains you. It's not something that you walk away from and you just feel so emotionally and physically exhausted. It's something that even if you work really hard at it, you feel really, I don't know if there's a specific like joy or happiness or what the emotion is necessarily, but you feel an energy and you feel like there's some kind of resonance with that activity or that group or whatever you're working with. But yeah, at the time, I think When I was going through this process with you, I didn't really realize that channeling that energy into a career was really possible because like you said, so many people have so many different cares in life and things that make them feel fulfillment and all those other things. Because you're right, we don't have a path right now that helps us explore turning that feeling into something monetizable and not in a negative way that's exploiting what we care about, but in a way that's how we can make the biggest impact in that area. And that's hard. And that's why we're here to talk about it. So can you kind of tell me more about why people should care about this as a concept? Like, why do you think that this has been such a huge part of your career and working with other students and the outcomes maybe that you've seen are a story or two of a student that's just had a really crazy purpose that has turned into an amazing career?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So this comes into compatible relationships and the toxicity of incompatible relationships. Many students or many people don't understand that a career is sort of a romance relationship. And if you do it improperly, then you can get into severe mental health issues and even substance abuse. And I've seen all of it. I've literally worked with thousands of students. And so I've got kind of a natural laboratory. It's not scientific. It's not random per se, but In the process of training students and several of them going down what I consider to be some traditional paths, some are very, very happy with them, but many are not to the point of anxiety disorders, eating disorders, and mental health crises. I've had students get on drug addiction, things of that nature. I also hear things like, I need work-life balance. And as soon as I hear a 20-something say, I need work-life balance, that means that to me that they don't have the proper career space because for me, work is an extension of my humanity. It's who I am and I love work. I don't love working all the time per se, but I like the work I'm doing. And so if it's a natural emotional charge energy, then I enjoy doing it. It doesn't feel like it's out of balance. And also I can do greater impact. So a lot of it is emotional commitment too, because if you're going to do change initiatives, you need an emotional resonance because change is difficult. People are always opposing change. And if you don't have an emotional reason behind a change, you'll quit. Guaranteed you'll quit in the face of the resistance. I mean, I had one student who emotionally resonated very strongly with at-risk youth education policy and was literally miserable in traditional accounting roles, yet was very brilliant with accounting and finance and had two internships in that space. And the very short story is we plugged her into studying an immersion at a Nashville jail, a juvenile jail, where she studied the education infrastructure in jail and what issues it created and how the kids were being disserviced there and what it needed. And then she went into a master's in urban education policy at an Ivy League school and has since done consulting using financial modeling to help build better educational funding models for state governments, for the United States government, and is now a politician handling that energy to try to enhance better policy. So that's an example of channeling emotional purpose into skills and some of the stuff that we'll discuss as we go through this process.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, that a lot of the people that you've worked with and that I've had the pleasure of meeting through you are really successful and have done these incredible things. And they involve top tier institutions. And I think what we want to get across from the start is that the name of an institution, you know, we're not trying to be here to help people be coached into going into Ivy League schools or anything, if that's the best fit, sure. But I think we want to say from the get-go that this is all about finding your own path in your own place that will help you achieve that. It doesn't have to be a Stanford or a, a Harvard. So I just wanted to see that up top that this is not a podcast about how to get people into um, really elite institutions. If that happens, that's really great. But
1: <laughs> in, in um, fact, in fact, just to piggyback on that, this is a, this is about purpose purpose, mm-hmm. identifying projects that are emotionally resonant and then identifying the people who are working on the projects with whom you can collaborate. And wherever those people are is where you need to go. And, and one of the things that I discussed at, at length, just to piggyback your point, is that elite institutions, however they're labeled, are just aggregations of incredibly interesting people who are working on collaborative projects of passion and purpose. And so what we're trying to do is trying to sort, how do I find my people? It sounds kind of cliche or something, but that's fundamentally what we're trying to do, is find kind of a sense of commonality around a, an, an enterprise, a thing that we're trying to accomplish together. And that really Mm -hmm. drives everything. That should be driving every decision, regardless of the the label or the brand on the institution.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something, especially when you're a young person and you're either deciding to go to college or what to major in or what career to go into, you're really concerned about labels. And I think we'll talk more about that over time in this space. But that's not something that either one of us are super big on. It's more about the impact that you're going to have, like you just said, and the, the people you surround yourself with and the... The relationships you will have from that and what you can do with those things is way more important than just the brand of any institution or any organization that you could be a part of. So we kind of have talked about why we should do this, but I'm assuming people at this point are probably going to be thinking, this is all nice and fluffy, but like, this sounds completely unrealistic why should I invest energy in doing this when I have this really secure option of going to, you know, this school or this career? I felt that way when I first started working with you too. I was, you know, nervous because I had a security in what I was doing and that taking a risk and doing this other thing just felt like a pipe dream. So why why do people, why should they invest here? And is this unrealistic to chase these
1: pursuits? So the short answer is it's absolutely not unrealistic. It's quite realistic because we we borrow off a of fundamental human psychology and it's actually quite easy to implement. And so the logic behind why what we're going to cover in this series works is easy to articulate using basic psychology. But the why part is because sooner or later you're going to hit crisis. In fact, I found that roughly every 10 years you go through sort of this existential crisis of what do I want to be? What do I want to accomplish? And at some point, you know, Arguably for our audience, we're going to have 50 to 60 years of productive life. And at the end, as morbid as it sounds, there's going to be an end of life. And then there's going to be a reflection back on what did I do? Did I do anything meaningful? And at some point, if you're in an incompatible relationship, you're going to have some crises and it's going to be emotionally jarring and and difficult for you to process And so I think just for emotional health and for impact potential, I think it's important to do this now. And the sooner you get involved with clarifying what am I about, the easier it is to implement, the healthier your life will be, the more impact you'll do. And it's just more fun to be candid. So stated differently, one of my students said, why should I be working 60-hour work weeks on something I absolutely hate? That's a lot of time to be spending on something I hate. Alternatively, if you could spend something on something you love, it's much more rewarding. So just from that fact, it's completely doable.
0: And we're going to talk about that on our next episode too, just for everyone's context of what are the tangible steps that you can take to start this process. And they're not hard necessarily at the beginning. It's a lot of questions about what you care about. And like we're saying, like what resonates with you in your everyday life and the steps to achieving something like Uh, career that you love like it's not going to happen overnight and that's kind of the whole purpose of this podcast is we're going to be talking to lots of different people who have different paths different things that they care about and they get them out of bed every day and it doesn't just happen in one instant it's a journey that truly you can find something that you care about and the way that you invest and interact with that might change over time and that's okay and finding the core reason of why you're doing what you're doing will help you in life when you have to pivot and when you have to change careers or when you have to make a decision for yourself. And so we're going to be covering that here in the next couple episodes, but it's not something that you can do just in one sitting. So just to forewarn people, this is a, this is a process. And yeah, I think just to go back to you on that, like, what have you seen the trajectory of people and that you've worked with over time like do they go back to this process a lot do they how long would you say it takes for people to feel like they have found what they care about and to engage in that space
1: so it depends on each person and how it, it takes a little bit of courage to do introspection work to figure out what it is that i really care about and then to believe in it and say okay i'm going to own this and going back a little bit to your concept of brand i mean that is your brand is your sense of purpose this is what i'm here to do mm-hmm. and and there's a theme that you own and that becomes your brand, that takes a little bit of work. And that might, for some, that might come quickly uh, because they're ready. They're they're like, okay, I'm not satisfied and I'm going to just own this. And this is really what I feel strongly about doing. Then there's the process of implementation. How do we get from that notion to action and get into those opportunities? Like, who are the people? What are the projects? How do I get the training necessary so that they can trust me? So that process, depending on what it is you're going after, could take as little as a, an immersion for a few weeks and an internship to um, you know, a full-on degree program or something like that. So it depends on what it is you're after. But you're going to probably go through this process over and over again through life as you get bored, as you start changing your relationships, as you start moving around, or as you want more growth. The key that I think most people find is that the fundamental core purpose doesn't shift that much. It's just the opportunities within. So if your purpose is to, for example, I have students working on um, equity and trying to make life more equitable for certain parties and certain subgroups in society, that purpose doesn't necessarily change, but the projects within that will certainly change. Mm -hmm. So some of it is sort of, okay, how do I want to approach this set of problems?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, that's what I'm working on just for other people's context is that exact thing in the women's rights advocacy space. And that's super true for myself is that, my overall idea of who I wanted to help or what impact I wanted to have has stayed constant over the last five years since I started working with you. But the avenue that I have picked to engage in that space has changed in that time. And that's been really comforting when you decide that you want to change something. You know, usually, I think of what you described, you know we have existential crises when we have these major points in our life when we have to make a decision or move on. and having, having a skill set and a toolkit that you can go back to when you have to make those choices is really valuable. And I think that that's kind of the goal here for us is to provide that to people. So yeah, you can continue to pivot and shift and change, but always go back to what you really care about and make an impact in that space.
1: And one of the important things I want to bring forward too is the earlier that you can get involved with this thinking, the better. A lot of people are willing to wait and they say, well, I'm going to try some particular training, because then I can make decisions later. But the problem with the later piece is that you then get involved with other relationships. And these other relationships, whether they're with partners or even animals or kids, if you have kids or something like that, then they're affected by your choices. There can be implications and constraints placed on you that you don't have when you're young. And so having some sense of purpose early allows you to kind of navigate your own life. And then people will get involved with you Who are compatible with all of that. And so, trying to find kind of your sense earlier is healthier and it's more fun. It's simply more fun. I mean, this isn't drudgery work. This is actually fun work. It's creative work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's Uh, super true. It's very hard, but it's fun. It's definitely a challenge. I'll say that from the receiving end of this when I was a youngster. It's challenging to do this work, at least in my experience. I didn't have anyone that was pushing me and asking these really hard questions. And that's a challenge to kind of really identify what you gravitate towards. And, but yeah, it is fun once you realize what it is.
1: So the hardest question is the word why. So true. I, I mean, I, I have I have students who say, oh, I'm going to go into X. I'm going to go into investment banking. I'm going to go, why? They just stop and they freeze. And they, they be, well, because it's a great career. And I'm like, well, why? What's the impact there for you? What pulls you there? And and there's no response. And so even just asking that question, And and I want to go back to Stanford for a moment. Stanford Business School has its essay question I think it's primary essay question is for admission, what matters most to you and why? And so this is all about purpose. You know, who are you? What's your legacy? What's your thing? I mean, Hamilton, the musical, what's your legacy, right? That's the whole storyline there Mm -hmm. is your legacy. And so it's the sense of why, why am I doing things? And if you can answer your question definitively, then you're going to have a much richer life. It's going to be more fun. This is boiling down to the answer of, or the question of why am I doing what I'm doing? For
0: sure. And that's hard and we're going to work through it, but I'm excited for people to hear this and to start to figure out how they can make steps towards achieving that why. To kind of wrap up this first episode, we wanted to give an overview of what we're going to be talking about here. And it's a lot of what we've already covered today about those different elements of finding purpose from personal relationships to emotional intelligence to Basic toolkit that we were talking about. You know, what can you do for yourself over time? You know, what are the questions you can ask yourself? Who are the people you can talk to? What's a strategy for engaging in the space that you want to be in over the next however many weeks that we decide to do this? But we're going to be releasing an episode every two weeks to kind of cover these different topics in more depth and to give more information on the journey that is life and finding a career that's purpose filled. And We'll also be doing this by talking to other people that have very different paths just to show that we're not going to just be talking about, you know, one type of person that went to business school and is now working in a consulting firm or doing something like that. Like that is totally not the, the point of this. It's what are the different avenues that you can find? And when you engage with them, what does that look like? So, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add that I've missed or that you think that is important for the people to hear.
1: Yeah, I think this will be fun. This is something that that I've been trying to do for a while, simply because I see the need for people to have more clarity on purpose, going through their choices about where should they go to school? What program should they study in school? Should they even go to school? How do they learn? How do they get involved with projects they care about? And fundamentally, it comes back to impact. I mean, there is a lot of need in the world, whether it's a business need or societal need or... And environmentally, there's a lot of need. And if all you do is go down a traditional path that isn't really emotionally resonant with you, you'll service virtually none of that need. And you'll just kind of have to touch it. And you're going to find life moves quickly. I can speak to that. And you'll (laughs) reflect back and go, okay, well, why did I spend all that energy? And last, if you want to use a finance concept, we talk a lot about return on investment in finance courses where we're investing a dollar or a pound or whatever currency and we want a maximized return but we never really think about it in terms of return on investment of our time and so if you're going to commit copious amounts of time learning about a trade or going to a university or working at a particular job what's your impact you know what's the return on that where are you getting satisfaction Where's society getting satisfaction where's your impact in? And so that's kind of the fundamental of, is there a way in which I can actually think more carefully about how I'm doing my time investment and get more from it? And that's really what this is about. I'm excited. Me too.
0: I hope this will resonate with some people and they'll come back and go on the journey with us. Thank you for joining us and we will be back soon.
1: Stay safe, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening. This episode was made possible by our audio engineer, Jack Booth, and our growth strategist, Mikey Lulo. For more resources and inspiration on finding your purpose, check out our Instagram at paths to purpose pod. We'll see you next time. Bye.